Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck of the Discovery Edition. Of course, I am your host, Michael Flores, at the helm. With me is David. Hello. Hello. How's it going? All right. So we got a big episode to work our way through. A lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff. Season 1, Episode 14, The War Without the War Within. Directed by David Solomon, written by Lisa Randolph. Okay, so we're going to try our best to go through this piece by piece. Not a recap, because we don't do recaps. We discuss. We analyze. We break down. We talk about Tilly and hot Emperor Georgia. There's something wrong with me, because I, I have always liked Michelle Yeoh, but I actually like her as evil emperor. Is she hotter evil? Oh man, that's tough. Or is she too old for you, David? Don't be, don't be. No, there's in- no such thing as too old. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Look at you, you pervert. <laughs> you know what? I, I think she's more attractive. Evil. There's something about her entire swagger. There's a, there's something about evil women. Yeah, evil yeah. women. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's face it. That the femme fatale is so much hotter. I, Look it, what happens to to Tilly. Yeah. I Captain agree. Tilly is so much hotter. I'm I'm curious to find out if women Star Trek fans are similar. Like, do they like evil versions of men as well? Like, is Lorca hot? Is evil Stamets hotter than normal nerdy Stamets? Huh? Yeah. Now that's what we should be doing. That's what we should be breaking down. Who's hotter? <laughs> hot or not? Hot or not? The hell? What is this? 1980s radio? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this episode slowed things down just a bit. No doubt, getting us ready for an epic, epic season finale. The pieces, David, have been put in place, and I can't definitely say I know what's going to happen, but taking what I know of the original concept that Brian Fuller was working on and knowing some of his inspirations... And some original articles that had come out long before Discovery aired. I think I might know what's going to happen by the end. And it might be connected to a previous Star Trek film, David. I don't want to say just yet. Just yet? But I might have yet another theory for our show. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you brought up this theory to me before the the show, and I, I actually am in complete agreement. Now, yes, we were miserably wrong. Are we wrong? Can we say we're wrong yet about Stamets? He's not going to be the traveler. I think we can. Everything seemed to smooth itself it was, out from it was his going end. so well. <laughs> it was oh, you like you liked uh, corrupted. I like corrupted Stamets. Yeah. It was actually kind of really interesting because I wanted to know 
where are they going with him? I do agree. It gave him i forgot his his oh i apologize i forgot the actor's name but he's a very good actor he is and him having issues gives him a little bit of this intensity that i think makes his character more interesting and appealing maybe we just don't like straight characters and when i say straight i don't mean homosexual and and what's the term heterosexual Uh uh-huh I mean, straight edge. We like our characters conflicted, flawed, and broken. That's yeah, just with a little edge to them. Yeah, and I think him having these issues made him a bit more intriguing. I have to, I have to agree because, like, the the whole point about Stamets was like we kind of got this. At first, he was like this really cool, snarky, you know, know it all, didn't listen to anybody, wouldn't listen to Lorca at right. times yeah and would look down upon people and it's almost kind of like the whole thing that the 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 whole incident with the sport drive kind of changed him a little bit yeah kind but of now traumatized him in, in, in some way but now he seems to be reverting back to normal stamets yeah but we'll see I, obviously this is season one dilemmas i'm sure the writers moving to season two are going to know what this man is capable of. And they're going to give him those type of intense moments. I'm I really sure. do hope. Yeah, hope. for sure. Now, bringing it back to the theory, I think we're just going to get into it. All right. Let's just I was going to put it to the end, but let's just get into it because I think we can then use it as a way to segue into the rest of our discussions throughout this episode. Now, the theory is, first off, Brian Fuller has a love affair with Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. As do I. I think most fans do. And when he was planning, in the planning stages, and as we know, I, I don't please don't send me messages saying, listeners out there, please don't send me messages saying, well, Brian Fuller's gone. I'm like, th- thank you. I'm well aware Brian Fuller's gone. But they used his rough draft to craft the rest of the season. And in interviews, when... They were getting started with the series before he left the series. He mentioned his love of undiscovered country and him wanting to create, use inspirational cues from Star Trek, the undiscovered country within his series for discovery for the first season. Well, dude, undiscovered country was one of those movies that I honestly feel was really underrated. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. When you uh, when it first came out, it did. It wasn't as popular to the fans at first. But when you look at all the Star Trek movies that have come after it, and then you put it like we've done before, where we made the list, Undiscovered Country is actually really stands up really well. Yeah, the acting's solid. I yeah. mean, the the uh, William Shatner's not over the top like he usually is. It's actually very there's there's very really powerful scenes. There's a lot of heart to it, and a lot of heart in a lot of scenes, like with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. So I feel Brian Fuller is uh, knows knows what uh, is good Star Trek because he's pulling inspirations for you know the, the original concept. He was pulling inspirations from Undiscovered Country. Now there's an article dated um, from October. Uh, no, September from last year, just a few short months ago. And I'm going to read right from it. And we'll begin to see how this could potentially be connected in some way to Star Trek, the undiscovered country. 
Now, this article says, while the previous five Star Trek movies and 79 episodes featuring the original cast took many opportunities to tell political stories, either about society or turmoil between nations, never was Star Trek, Star Trek as ripped from the headlines as in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Beloved by former showrunner Brian Fuller, The Undiscovered Country became a taking-off point or touchstone for his version of of Star Trek Discovery. The Star Trek VI writer and director, Nicholas Meyer, said after Fuller brought him on board Discovery as a consulting producer and writer. So though Fuller's contributions to Discovery have been partially, you know, kind of null and void, the the nuances from the Undiscovered Country can still be found in the show's DNA, according to reports. And with this ending... And in retrospect, when we look back and see some of the political aspects of uh, Discovery, specifically the opening quarter of the series when we were dealing with the Klingons, we can see those connections. Now, the theory that I have is potential foreshadowing. Now, obviously, they can't leave things open-ended to where... Hey, you have to watch Star Trek 6 to really know what's happening because you can't write TV like that. You can't rely simply on things already done. You have to allow your show to stand on its own two feet. Yes. Now, in order for any of this to matter, everything we've seen, the mirror universe, Giorgio becoming the captain again, at least in appearance of the discovery for any of this to really matter it's going to have to have some serious ramifications and or foreshadowing of things to come. All right. And what I mean by this theory, let's look at Star Trek Discovery. What happened to the Klingon homeworld? I believe it had to do with the overmining. It's been years since I watched. That's what they, that, remember, that's what they said. Right. Now, what if, what if Discovery does something? That creates a doomsday clock of sorts, a countdown to where they put an expiration date on the planet Kronos. And then now everyone who's in the know realizes, oh, shit, this is why the planet blew up in undiscovered country. And it would make sense politically. And if you look at the manipulation of governments and you pick up a history book, how do you create non-enemies how do you how do you create how do you defeat your enemy you make them need you what if this was the plan what if this was the plan dave to destroy their home world so that someday the klingons will need the federation it makes sense. How interesting would that be? And how cool would that be? Because at that point, the Klingon race would would essentially be homeless. They, they, they wouldn't have a home planet to go to. And th- meaning that they'd have to branch out and have to go to other planets to survive. Meaning they would have to do the one thing that all Klingons to this point, especially in Discovery, are rallying against, which yeah. is uh assimilating assimilating right. into other cultures right 
I mean, it would fix a lot of problems. I mean, we, we already know that the Federation is going to be tight lipped about the Terran Empire. They don't want to be out there. They don't want people knowing of the, you know, the ability to cross over. They're going to mothball this technology. Um, They're keeping uh, the Terran version of the MU version of Giorgio a secret. So it, it, I think it's easy to slip this into continuity of Star Trek and not mess up any of the canon. It, it, you can easily create the catalyst of things to come. That, 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 that very moment when the home world exploded. I don't know if they're going to do it. You know what? I'm going to call them out. They're going to do it. I'm just going to say it. I think it might lead. I, I, I like your I like your theory that it mo- it will lead into it because remember this undiscovered country takes years years yeah. after this, right? So at least thirty years. Yeah, it has to. It would maybe forty. It would have to basically be the 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 catalyst. It'd have to be the starter. Right. Whatever they did, that would make sense. Yeah, it would make sense, and I I I would feel like it would justify the actions of where they're taking the series. Especially, it if, has to. It, all of these things that are happening, David, have to matter. Especially you, when you think about it, the, the in undiscovered country, Spock was really adamant that they had to help the Klingons, and it's one of the questions that in undiscovered country was like. As a as a Star Trek fan that pulled you into the storyline was the thing that was never explained was why is Spock so par- uh, why is he so passionate about it? What if he's so passionate Ooh, about it because, because Sarek was responsible exactly for selling the idea to the Federation, dude? Yeah, it would be. Can you imagine how cool that would be? And it would justify. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. We're barely scraping the ice, yeah. the tip of the iceberg of this theory and what it can mean for the show. We're going to get into all of it after our first break. But this is kind of what our conversation today is going to focus on. The bigger picture of the season. The bigger picture. Uh, we only have one episode left. And many audiences are left wondering, what is this season really about? The first quarter of episodes laid the groundwork for some really amazing introspectives into discovering oneself. But it also spent a lot of time setting up misdirection, i.e. the Ash Tyler, the Vok and Takuvma scenario. Now, this isn't a negative, but now that we have only one episode left, we have a better grasp of what the inaugural season's arc is going to be about. And we have a clearer picture of what the writers were attempting to do this year. And we're going to get into that because I feel like. All these things being put together, the twist, the the plot twist, the the misdirection has to amount to something and it has to amount to something big. That's why that's why I totally agreed with your your theory that basically it need, it, for it to uh, for it to connect to undiscovered country would actually be really big. Yes. And you can't have you can't because, Dave, you can't have a show simply filled with with plot twists. Yeah. And, and not have any real validity or impact to our heroes lives there has to be something big that happens to them that's a butterfly effect right and some people say might say michael slow down i mean because look at you know star trek has never really been these all these big moments and for the most part i would agree with that statement however this is not written like any other star trek show this is very serialized there's a lot of moving parts so because this show is written very differently, there's a certain amount of expectations that comes with those writing cues that the uh, 
or the writing liberty, or I'm sorry, there's some expectations that now come along with the liberties that the writers have taken with the series. We expect something impactful. Especially especially since when you take Discovery at this point as a whole, looking back at the series and how everything went, <clears throat> Discovery is the, honestly, for me, it's the w- only series out of all the TV series that has made so many references to other moments in Star Trek. Right, yeah. It's made so many Easter egg moments, and it's one of the big things that everyone started noticing is like they're really trying to trying to connect and make sure that hey, you know this discovery, this is this the all the stuff that's going on, this is still going on. Yeah, you know they make the Easter egg references. They make they do, and in this past they mentioned Kronos, and it's like everyone says, well, wait a minute, Kronos was destroyed. Yeah, so dude, it's gonna. I mean, the writers have definitely done their. They're definitely giving nods and giving respect to the to everything that came before. Yeah. And these little nods that they're doing, like even the Archer reference was fun for the me. The Archer reference caught me off guard. Like, yeah. I didn't realize that they would do it. Yeah, it, it was it was awesome because they mentioned earlier in the episode that, you know, no one's been on Kronos for over 100 years, years. And that was just it was left. And I was like, huh, it wasn't. And I I immediately went to the first, I think the first episode, I believe the pilot episode. Yes, of it Enterprise. was the pilot episode of Enterprise. And Archer confronted the leaders of of the Klingon Empire and returned the that one Klingon that was injured on Earth. With his southern hospitality. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I remembered. So when they said that, I was like, that's got to be Archer. Yeah, it's Archer. All right, Dave, we need to go to a break. And then when we come back, you and I are going to get into all of the ins and outs, including the bigger picture of this season. Don't go anywhere or I'll beam you out into space. I swear I will. (laughs) Pray havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Everything! Crossing over to other past things in Star Trek. Yeah. What if the Kelvin timeline passed through the original uh, Star Trek, like the Mirror Universe? Right. Or the Mirror Universe crosses over to the Kelvin timeline. I mean, another possibility, Dave, is for very for reasons like this, more stories that can be told. Um, I think Star Trek. With all of the TV shows that already messed up its own continuity, stuff that is canon was just forgotten. Yes. Like the Klingon head, uh, star dates was a huge thing that they just changed whenever they wanted. From movies to the original series to Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, they weren't even consistent. So there's a lot of issues that was created over the past 50 years of Star Trek. And much like Star Wars had to do. Yes, I said the 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 horrible word to all you Star Trek fans. But even what Star Wars did in retrospect, uh, you know, it was a good thing what they did. Star Trek from the holodeck exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Go to RainmanDigitalMedia.com or Patreon.com slash RainmanDigital. End simulation. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. There's no outcry. Let me tell you why, okay? Yeah, shut up. Because every 65% of my family is Hispanic, okay? Okay. 
What's the other percentage left? It's 65. 30, 35. 35. 35% of my family is redneck. Okay? So out of 65% of my family, not one of them, and we talk all the time, not one of them gave a shit. I don't give a shit about Donald Trump. You think so, I'm tired of people speaking for me. I'm tired of it. We, yeah. I'm not a part of this. You know what my family's doing? Working a real job they already have? They're working or they're drinking alcohol and getting drunk. There you go. Mm. My tío Poncho works on cars all day and then gets fucking hammered <laughs> and then bangs Bertha, his wife. <laughs> That's what my uncle does. Like a real American. Yes. <laughs> and his son, Cessa, and Cesar, guess what they do? Same thing. They work all day under a hood of a car. They go home, bang Berta, not their mother, the other one. <laughs> they wake up and do it again. They work nine to five. They bang their chicks. They drink. That's it. That's life. God bless America. Yeah. That's a life right there. Mm-hmm. Nine to five and sex. I don't even get that. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. All right, welcome back. Star Trek from the holodeck. Again, this is the Discovery Edition. If you're just tuning in on our RM Channel 001, our 24-7 station. Now, if you miss any part of this broadcast, you can always find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Just search Star Trek from the holodeck. Also, the Rayman digital app, David. People can now download the app from the iOS app store, as well as the Google Play store. Just search Rayman digital and take not just this show, but all of our shows on the network, on the go, anywhere you go. You also will have access to our live channel. So when we broadcast live, you can listen to the show. All right. So. The War Without, The War Within. Directed by David Solomon. Written by Lisa Randolph. All right. So the first season of Star Trek Discovery, as I was saying, is drawing to a close, and it looks like the Federation is contemplating throwing out ethics in order to win a war. I think this is a place many Trek fans didn't want to find ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
uh, just because so many of us fans have our own thoughts on what defines Trek, uh, specifically when we're talking about ideology and the morality of the Federation. But if it's used to pose questions of ethics and explore the human condition and the trials and tribulations of war and what is deemed fair and just, I think it works. I think it's okay to pose questions. Now, whether or not the bulk of the Federation or Starfleet is involved in in a potential genocide of sorts, which I'm thinking that's kind of what it sounds like Sarek and Giorgio have planned. I'm not alone here, right, Dave? No, I'm not alone. You're not alone. Trust me. (laughs) So if if they're using it to pose questions, I I think we're okay. I think whatever the ultimate decision is, I think, is the deciding factor. I mean, Star Trek hasn't just been about exploration and science, but about the human condition. And these are realistic questions, things that human... Uh, human civilization human civilization has struggled with for for centuries and yes we get this this romanticized idea of star trek that everything's perfect um but the world of next generation is is far away and it comes with a price yeah i i think the world of next generation is a very different time in starfleet's history the federation's history this is a time of of mystery and intrigue and distrust and and fear uh, it's the unknown. So I feel like these types of questions and actions are realistic. When you're on the brink of annihilation, what do you do? Are you just going to put your hands behind your back and say, well, we don't believe in doing that. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to roll over, play dead, and hope for the best. best. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be realistic. No. Even the most docile of cultures and civilizations and societies in past have had to pick up arms and fight. I'm glad you brought that up because the one of the most one of the most impactful moments for me in the episode was uh the the dialogue between Georgiou and Georgiou telling Burnham and uh I think I think she was like telling Burnham what how the how she defeated the Klingons in her place. Yeah. And the way she saw it. Right. And I'm like going in a lot of ways, that dialogue was really important to hear from Burnham because now we're having that that what we call that trifecta of brilliance in Burnham's character yeah. being questioned. Yep. Because remember, at this point, Jurjao has always been pictured as the the type of captain that we expect in Star Trek. The the Jean Luc Picard the 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 logical uh, situation the always take the peaceful route negotiations above all federation all the way. But here she's being she's being told by basically George Al, a different version of George Al, but still someone she actually, I guess you could say at this point still trusts. They keep bringing up the 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 echoes of fate. There's a connection there. They they can't deny it. And I think that's why they keep saying that. And to justify why the writers are are connecting them in this way because it's fate. There is a connection there. Even the evil emperor who's uh, who eats kelpians and it wants to slay people, even she feels that draw to Burnham. Yeah. And that's why so, that's why I thought that 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 dialogue was so important. I in this, agree in this episode because it was like 
just like what you said, it really brings into question the morality of Star Trek. Yeah. What are you willing to actually, if, if those Star Trek fans out there want what we saw in next generation, they have to understand that it came, that came at a price. You know, you, when you have the next generation, the, 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 Oh, everything's peaceful and everyone gets along. Well, that happens because people have to get over past conflicts. Yeah. And those conflicts have to happen. Star Trek's always been about the exploration of the human condition. Of the human and, condition. And, and these are the types of questions that you pose when you're delving into those types of things. I mean, as I was talking about with, with war, the trials of war and what it does to civilized society is very much a study into the human condition. The use of the mirrorverse and its... Um, its dingy reflection can easily be used to describe or hold up as an example of bad decisions. So to use that to contrast the two and then see what decisions are we going to make based on what we already saw the Terran Empire make, it creates a bit of internal conflict within the audience, wondering a little bit of suspense. But what are they going to do? Are they really going to do exactly what they're against? And we just saw what happens when you make those types of decisions. Look at the Terran Empire. And there's the re- one of the poetic reasons why Fuller and company, Aaron, uh, Aaron Herberts and, and, and uh, Gretchen Berg, Decided to use the mirror universe for those types of poetic nuances to to ask those types of questions. So I don't have a problem with the show setting this type of scenario up because it is by definition Star Trek. It's very different than the Star Trek we've seen in the past, but the yeah. fundamentals of it is is the same. I mean, look at um, Star Trek uh, Next Generation, the pilot episode, which I know a lot of people hate on it, but I feel like the pilot episode is a contemporary masterpiece uh-huh. of ethics <clears throat> and the questions that Q poses to the crew of the USS Enterprise. It's very similar to the questions that we that are potentially being asked here in, in, in this episode of Discovery. You are you going to make the human decision? And uh, the human, the negative human decision, and show us all that you don't belong out in space, Captain Picard. Yeah. El Capitan. Uh, El Capitan. (laughs) Yeah. So the war without the mirror, the war without the mirror universe wouldn't have been the same. And that's why I'm justifying the use of the mirror universe as well. The war without Giorgio's Giorgio's death wouldn't have been the same. The mirror universe without the prime Giorgio's death wouldn't have been the same. These elements are working in tandem and it aids in the construction of the overall arc of the season. Yes. You can't have one without the other, at least in this particular story that they set up. Without those bookends of the two's death and how they both are creating a conflict and posing questions for Burnham and she's learning from both it's it's quite a, a very intricate and very intimate story. So I feel like all of it works. Um, and what's going to be the deciding factor, Dave? I think that's a question that we have to ask as well. What will give this season resolve again? What will be the deciding factor? Federation ideals, the ideology of the Federation will prove more important than ever. And because the writers are purposely contrasting the Federation ideology with what many believe to be opposing ideology, the aspects 
of war and the MU works. It is Star Trek. It all is. I think it's all circling in on each other to tell one circular arc of a story. I feel like the mirror universe has just worked perfectly with what they're trying to say, Uh, because in the end, what will save the day? What will help our heroes win? Federation ideology. And again, and that's why we're asking those questions, because we're not throwing Federation ideology out the window. We're not forgetting the ideals of 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 Gene Roddenberry and what what he envisioned Star Trek and, and, and the future. We're not throwing them out. We're putting it up for debate. Will the Federation choose the right path? Yeah. Will they choose Federation ideology? Because that's the ideology that we know is right in this particular setting. So they're not just throwing it out the window to for 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 the fuck of it. They're doing it to create those questions. Yes. You can't have conflict, drama, and suspense without posing questions and considering the opposition or the other side of the argument. You know, you show all the options on the table. You let our characters decide. Not knowing whether or not our protagonist will make the right decision is writing 101. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a really good point that basically it comes, it also comes down to the characters. I mean, the, our centralized story is being told through one person throughout this entire time, and it's Burnham. Yeah. Burnham is us. So what side is she going to choose? I'm burning them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, you can throw hurdles at her integrity, throw everything. And then when she comes out victorious, it matters. It matters. When she makes the right decision and we're all crossing our fingers that that she's going to, (laughs) you know, and that's going to be a a predicament uh, because I'm calling it now, Dave. And I think I said this a couple weeks ago. She's going to find herself in a very similar situation on that bridge. She's not going to agree with a decision decision George O is going to make. You, I, I can already sense that. Too, yeah, she's because... not going to agree, and it's going to turn to mutiny again. She's not going to agree with the Admiral, because the Admiral's back in George O's play. Sarek. I was, I, Sarek I was is back in the play. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was surprised that Are basically... You though? Cornwall, uh, Cornwall... She's not, desperate. Not as much, but Sarek. Sarek, I was like going, wait a minute, you wanted to drive peace home from the get-go. Yeah. Now you want to actually go there and you want to, act, you agree with this strike just because George Alice says it's the most logical thing to do. Well, Dave, I agree, but disagree because first off, it's realistic in the sense that, okay, let's look at Sarek. Vulcan logic dictates that Sarek would be a proponent of this plan. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So do we drop the bomb on Japan or do we not? Do we, do we kill millions to save hundreds of millions? You get the question? Yeah. And that's where Vulcan logic, particularly Sarek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So to me, him being a proponent for this plan that we aren't really privy to, that we, we can only guess what the plan is at this point, because it was kind of left open-ended. But to me, it wouldn't make sense because of Vulcan logic. Or do you disagree? No, I, when you bring it up like that, 
I mean, it's funny that you bring up the tried and true. Oh, dude, it always argument. works. It, it, wins it always every, works. It wins every argument. <laughs> <laughs> you can look. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I, I do that. I do that line with my wife when we're fighting. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> listen here. <laughs> the needs of the many <laughs> outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> and she just looks at me like I'm an idiot. Like I just won. I just won <laughs> with Vulcan logic. Because you're right. I mean, like I hate to say it, there. That argument has never been proven wrong. And yes, a lot of people say, well, what about the search for Spock when he says the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many? That was just a, a that, turn of, you know, dialogue. It was it, just a clever way. It was a clever. It was a turn. There's yeah. no way. When you look at when you look at the search for Spock, it's kind of like, you no, know, I have to say this wasn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. And um, you're right. I mean, I, it, it's hard to it's hard to actually argue against the tried and true Vulcan logic that that it's kind, it's kind of like the. Uh, uh, the uh, I can't say it. Uh, I've never been able to say it right, but it's the uh, I think it's the Quasi Maru or. Um, the Kobayashi Kobe, uh, Kobe, Kobe Maru test. Yeah. yeah. The no-win scenario. Yeah. And whether, yeah, Kirk found a way, but he found a way because he cheated. No, no <laughs> scenario is unwinnable. Yeah, no. I agree with Kirk. Hey, if you have to cheat to win, do it. <laughs> <laughs> cheat to win, do it. Uh, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I'm just being silly. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, the the... It's it's one of those things in Star Trek that's always been really cool about the philosophical debate. You yeah, know, we, it's fun. Everyone wants to be on that side that says, "No, we, we just like you said, we cheat to win. There is no such thing as a, a lose uh, unwinnable scenario." But logic actually says, "No, there is. There is a <laughs> there is a not a winnable scenario, right?" And, or like. Or like what you said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. A lot of people versus the needs of one person. Yeah. That's going to be, uh, and it's one of those things that basically Discovery has really done a fantastic job this entire season was pulling not the, you know, hardcore science thread that basically all Star Trek does, but actually going into telling kind of like really questioning ethics the ideology of ideology and the philosoph the philosophy the philosophical aspect of star trek and that's something that we have droned on about in our in our patreon discussions it's It's, so awesome it's such a it's a part of star trek that has been missing like we 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 both as fans we have enjoyed the jj abrams reboot star trek for the most part absolutely there are definitely some great moments and the emotions of trek are there um, but yes, outside of some of the science and even the philosophy, uh, the philosophical aspects definitely aren't there. And those are things yeah. that we've definitely missed and discovery has brought it back in full force. So I'm, I'm happy with definitely, I'm definitely happy with that aspect of discovery. Um, all right, Dave. So moving forward, clarification on Ash Tyler. We seem to have some answers on that. Uh, Reassignment protocol is what they called it. And I'm going to put this in layman's term. They suck out the the essence, the psyche 
of somebody and basically inject it into someone else. That was kind of the simplistic way to say it. I feel like there was a lot more brutal surgery or surgical procedures involved. You know, Dr. Frankenstein's monster, if you will. It's still, yeah, Dr. Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, so he's not really a human or Klingon. He's something else. Uh, I'm still wondering, though, how this is all going to play out. It would be smart, though, if this ends up aiding in the explanation of the Klingon appearance. I know we've had explanations before. Uh, Worf mentioned Deep Space Nine many, many years ago that they don't like to talk about it. The Klingons, that is. And, of course, in Voyager, even more recent... They also did their version where they, uh, what is it called, the augmented virus. It was some type of uh, mixture of a flu and an augment virus, yeah. I believe. I, I could be wrong with my wording, but I think the listeners get what I'm saying. But it still doesn't explain the, the massive difference in the Klingons now and the ones we've seen in the original series. And yes, I know there are some liberties that many of the writers and producers have taken over the years and I get it. And it's going to happen with a show that's been on the, been on the air or, or in some way for well over 50 years. So it makes sense. However, if you can fix it, why not? Right. And I think this might be the perfect scenario to fix that little I don't want to say little, but glaring issue in Star Trek, which think, is the Klingon appearance. I think it, I think it can definitely because, like, you're right. the The thing is, is like what they did to Ash is absolutely ethically inhuman. Yeah, and they cannot sweep this under the rug as oh, he's okay now. He's okay now. Uh, there has got to be something fierce around the edge, around the corner. Yeah, and, there's and, gotta be. And, and the cool part, too, is this episode, once again, touches on a philosophical uh, debate of some sort with Ash is like, OK, what is he? You know, he's not really human and he's not Klingon. He's not Klingon anymore because apparently Vok isn't there anymore. No, he says he is. He says that he has all his memories. He has all his memories. But is he Vok still? Yeah. And then the the thing is, is like it. it it's uh, it brings it to question of, of like if in a really roundabout way when I actually saw the the dialogue and how Ash was treated in this it reminded me a lot of seeing Data for the first time and actually asking the question what makes Data human okay at this point what makes Ash Ash what is he well he has Vox memory so he's Vok no he's not Vok. Because he has Ash's memories. Well, those memories are false as well. So what is he? <laughs> and it, it it really reminded me of like character character stories that I've seen in the past that Star Trek do does and does really well, like the character of Data in Next Generation, where you actually sometimes ask yourself, we all know Data's an android. Yeah. But his whole goal is to be human. Yeah. But can he ever become human? No. Yeah, dude, if they knowing that the season has been picked up for a second season. And I think it's I think it's safe to say that we're going to have several more years of discovery. If they take Ash down that route, 
Yeah. You know, to figuring out who he is. You can do some really good, serious and dark storytelling. You really can. Absolutely can. Um, but also let's use him his uh his DNA, his uh Frankenstein syndrome. Let's use it to also fix a major uh canon issue. <laughs> Please, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So ultimately this was also about Burnham, the internal conflict of logic versus emotion. It's okay to love. And I think that was also the point of this Ash Tyler little not distraction, but um turn that we did for a little bit going back. Kind of we were away we got away from him for a little bit and now we're bringing it back and it said something about Burnham's journey. I think that was another point that the writers wanted to convey, uh, especially with that very emotional goodbye of Sarek, which is very unseric like and I like it because I know some people out there like, oh, he should love Spock. He should love Spock. God damn it. <laughs> but sometimes it's harder to show emotions to the ones that you should. Yes. That's real life. And you, I, I can, I'm speaking from experience. Sometimes it's easier to express yourself to somebody else other than the ones that maybe you should be. Yeah. And you got to. And the thing is, you got to understand that Sarek is a very complicated person. Like. We all know that his wife has always said he's a very loving husband. I, I used to remember all the Star Trek episodes where they'd focus on Sarek and Spock and his and and uh, Sarek's wife. Sarek's wife would always say Sarek's a very loving husband or a loving person. But you think about it, it's like he's a Vulcan, and you're not supposed to show the show the the emotional side of yourself. And that's why it was such a good give, or, give and take a bit here yeah. with Sarah. Cause yes, we don't want him to break the Sarah mold and the stubbornness that he is, but he also is very different than a lot of other Vulcans. He has learned to accept humans. And he, even if he doesn't express it, he has a love for hu for the human race. He's a very conflicting. He's a very conflicted individual and complicated and complicated. That's the word complicated, a very complicated person. And for him to say it's OK to love is a huge thing, not just for Burnham's, you know, overall arc for the season and her conflict of, of being human versus Vulcan and which one does she choose you know, can I love even though I have grown up with Vulcans? Is it okay to love? Is it okay to show emotion? So not only did it do such one such great things for her overall development this season, but also it was a nice little nugget for Sarek fans. Yeah, and you got to remember that Sarek at this point, we all know. If you're a Star Trek fan, you you all know Sarek's future. His main regret is not being able to express his feelings towards Spock. That is his. Number one regret because that powerful scene of Patrick Stewart playing Sarek going through his emotions sticks with all Star Trek fans everywhere. So the the fact that basically Sarek at this point, that scene basically really puts it into perspective that basically Sarek is Sarek loves Spock, but the problem is he can't he can't say anything to Spock because he made that decision with Spock to send Spock away. Yeah, I, I feel like overall it works. I it think works. it's good. I it like works it. It fantastic. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it at all. Now, I do have a problem with Lorca being dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figure you would. I mean, apparently he swapped pl places, which I think that wasn't really a, 
I don't think that was really a question. I think we all kind of figured that he swapped places with uh, with the Mirror Universe Lorca because that's what happens when you cross over accidentally. <laughs> as you in, in an ion storm. Yeah, so that sucks. But bye, Jason Isaacs. And you know what? We made the decision for him to be dead. Let him be dead. Let's not change... I feel like when you have scenarios like time travel and mirror universes, uh, it takes away the stakes a bit when, oh, hey, we can have this version. Hey, he's back. And I know it's a a part of my heart is being ripped out right now because I love Jason Isaacs and his casting is what really solidified my excitement for Discovery. And he's the reason why I was, for, let's be honest, I just love Star Trek. But also, I think that's what created a lot of that enthusiasm for me at the beginning was the fact that they put Jason Isaacs in it. And to see him go and kind of his character didn't really amount to much when you really think about it, which we're going to talk about that as well in a second here. Uh, it's a it's a little disappointing. But hey, this isn't my show. I'm not writing it. Again, I don't think it's a deal breaker. It doesn't ruin the show. Yeah. It's just me personally. It's just a. I felt like it's such a waste of such a fabulous talent and people and a really great character. Let's face it, Lorca yeah. has been one of the best characters in this season. And I guess anybody you can say, well, then it wasn't a waste if he served his purpose, his purpose and it was fun watching him on screen and he helped connect the dots. Then it wasn't a waste. And the, th- that would be a valid argument. The, However, the, I'm going to be a Star Trek baby and I'm going to say no. <laughs> no the problem the problem is too is kind of like if they were to actually bring back Lorca it it it'd start getting too gimmicky because like they already the, that's already something that they they're doing currently with Georgiou yeah right and if right. they did that again with Lorca it'd be like, like oh okay hey guys Lorca's back hi hi <laughs> We, well, went, we you, went to the mirror universe of the mirror universe, and now we got Larka here. Hi. Stamets, send us into another dimension. Send us into the mirror universe of, of this mirror universe, universe of the other mirror universe, and let's bring everybody back. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Okay, Dave, I don't know. Should we take a break or should we just move forward with the rest of the show? We have about another, oh, maybe, oh, Jesus. You know what? Let's go to a very quick break, and then when we come back, yeah, we have a lot to get through. We'll be right back. Double dumbass on you! everything! What are you looking at, nerd? I thought I was looking at my mother's old douchebag, but that's in Ohio. (laughs) Geek Out Saturday. I've never been a fan of Superman because I was never a fan of that overpowered character. Well, I'll shoot you then. Nope, I'm bulletproof. Well, then I'll cut you. Can't. You don't need an entire three-episode arc to give characters closure. There's little things that they're doing to give us that finale-ishness. That's not even a word, but I just made it. That's so cool, like, just to get that insight. And I think that's what makes this movie special for me. Right. Is that we have... The Batman I grew up with, the Joker I grew up with. We shot him when we go to cons because yeah. he will chase after actors. Like, no, not if you're representing the show. If I'm you're like, representing uh, the show, do not chase after these people, please. <laughs> exactly. Catch up on your favorite Rayman digital geek shows every Saturday. DC on CW, Back to Tank, Weird West Radio, The Crossroads, and more. Geek Out Saturday on Rayman Channel 001. Listen from the Rayman digital app or tune in. Just search RM Channel 001. RM Channel 001. Shields up! Ready? 
All right, David, we're back. Hello. Hello, Hello. How's it going? Oh, can you hear me on the comms? Yes, I can. All right. Okay, so it's time to get serious here, Dave, because the bell is ringing. It's time to pay the piper. We're almost there at the end. How this season will be remembered all comes down to next week's episode. Yes. It seems like this season will be remembered by its slight detour to the mirror universe that the first quarter of the season was working towards. And I think the biggest question is why? And this isn't a negative. Let me stress that again. I'm doing my part as a host, Dave, to pose questions and get people thinking and wondering and possibly get on the same track of the writers and kind of figure out where they're coming from with this season. Yeah. Um, and in order for the mirror universe aspect, which again, the season was built around something very, very, very big needs to come from it. The fact that the show was built around the concept of the mirror universe, except for the opening pilot, the binary stars that set the, that laid the groundwork for the Klingon War, which is being used to bookend the season, obviously. Yes. But the overall season was built around Lorca's return to the Mirror Universe and everything that would follow afterwards. Yes. And in order for it to matter and justify that your entire season was built around that, something big, I'm going to stress it again, something really big needs to happen because of the Mirror Universe. The use of poetic themes and imagery that was utilized by way of the mirror universe and the introspective approach the writers used to craft a very intimate portrait of Burnham and her struggle for redemption and maybe even forgiveness has been fascinating to say the least. But what does it mean for our narrative arc? All of this is fine and good. I mean, this is character development, and I feel development has been on point, but it has to do something for the overall arc of discovery. If Burnham is meant to be the arc, then that's fine. I mean, an intimate story is something we've been talking about all season. With the trifecta of brilliance, for example. Yeah. The show was geared to focus on Burnham. But let's break it down. For now, let's set aside the question of whether the Mirror Universe episodes matter or not, okay? What does the Tyler story arc do for the main arc of the season? I think it's safe to say the Tyler story arc from the PTSD, the rape scenes, the species reassignment has all been a misdirect to keep us distracted from the Lorca situation. Hey guys, look over here. While we're doing this over here. A little sleight of hand. Right. Outside of character development and melodrama, it really has no effect on the arc. As of yet. As of yet. Does it have to do... Has it had ramifications on Burnham's personal arc? Absolutely. Yes. And again, I'm going to stress this because we're going to go back to it. If Burnham is the arc, then okay. Dakuvma and his radicals have been eliminated. The Klingon houses are worse off. Why? 
Why? Why create a Klingon war? It has to amount to something. Unless it's all about Burnham's personal story arc, which for the first quarter of the season was. Yes. But since coming back from winter hiatus, the show has veered away a lot from Burnham's intimate story and its focus on the bigger picture. And now we have questions. If the story was all about Burnham's development and that was it, I don't think a lot of these questions would matter because we would say, oh, so Ash Tyler helps us understand and get inside of Burnham and understand her. The Klingon War is there to create the trifecta of brilliance, self-redemption, self-analysis, understanding who you are, meaning Burnham, looking at the decisions I've made, going into the mirror universe and seeing poetically the differences in, de in, in my decisions. How does it compare to that? The duality that we talked about. And I feel like the show has lost towards the tail end, has lost its focus a bit, which was Burnham. Yes. And now we're, give, we're, we're, we're opening up this arc, but it doesn't feel tight anymore. Okay. So let's say it's all been a distraction for Lorca. Now we're bringing back. Are, are you following, David? I'm not yeah. going all over the place, am I? No, no, no. You're, okay. I'm with you. Okay. So let's then say it was all a distraction. Like the Kuvma, the Klingons, war, Ash Tyler story. It was all a distraction for Lorca. Okay. What did Lorca do? He was a man from the mirror universe trying to get home and conquer the emperor. And by doing so, rescued Burnham from a life in prison. And by doing so, the narrative took a poetic turn to a place where Burnham would have to face her demons and be faced with similar questions. This all works if there is one defining thread. What is the one consistent narrative thread that has kept the entire season together? The events that spun out of control at the Battle of the Binary Stars, its Klingon War, and, the, and Burnham's responsibility to fix the problem she started, second chances, echoes of fate, and the possibility to take control of one's fate. This just needs to be drove home a bit more. Yeah, and, and don't forget, during that time, during this whole season, Lorca has been this character that to Burnham has been trying to hammer home the idea of destiny. Right. Right. So if these are the things they're saying, they need to drive it home a bit more. The narrative thread needs to be clarified just a bit. And I think that's what we'll see in the last episode. I think the writers have done such a great job but the last three episodes have kind of spun out of control. Like the yeah. roller coaster is all over the place. And it, it, it puts me as a viewer in a weird position, Dave, because it's weird because I've enjoyed those episodes. They have been fun. I, the mirror universe is fascinating. But in retrospect, when I take a step back and I have to you know, discuss the show. I start wondering what happened in the last three episodes. It feels like the wheels are falling off. Because we took the focus away from Burnham, and some may argue, no, we haven't. The whole mirror universe was about Burnham, but we also had other things you start questioning. Like, what was Lur Lorca's point? You're telling me Lorca's entire purpose was so that Burnham can get to the mirror universe so 
so that we can bring Giorgio back so that we can then book in the show with a with a with a standoff on the bridge that would be a mirror reflection of how the show started. Okay. It feels like a stretch though that you create distraction and all Lorca is is a writing gimmick. Yeah. It's it's weird. It feels a little contrived and I don't want to feel that way because I feel like the show has been very strong, but at the last moment I'm like, "All right. Something doesn't feel right." Yeah, and basically it feels too simple. It feels like it's it is simple, but the steps they took, they took the long road. It's a simple journey, but instead of going up the hill, they went around the hill, the hill. and then up it and then back down. And then up again. And then up again. <laughs> so placing Burnham and Giorgio and the bridge together and seeing how their fate will play out, I think will be strong. And I think it's cool. And I think it will work. Especially when we're taking into account the Star Trek, you know, philosophical and poetic approach. The Shakespearean effect, if you will. I'm all about it. But it just seems a little weird when you start looking at some of the like the Ash Tyler stuff. And it, was it just filler? Yeah. It, it doesn't even, feel or right. Or even the 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 stuff with the crew with uh, with Saru, uh, you know, in the mirror universe becoming captain. Right. I, that's what I thought was confusing, uh, confusing in this past episode is like that seemed to all of a sudden just been swept under the rug. Like no one mentioned yeah. that basically Saru Saru manned up. <laughs> he kelped up. He kelped up. Yeah. He got his ganglia in control. Yeah, he did. But like besides Saru, what about the Stamets thing? How about Tilly? Where do they all fit in? And all this. And listen, I understand their side characters and supporting and everything they've done is to support Burnham. But again, it feels like the sto- like the last three episodes have just kind of veered off and kind of all over the place so it's all over the place the last episode is very very important the entire season relies really it really does it relies on how the writers choose to execute the final moment because i don't think i don't think this is a deal breaker i'm just saying that there needs to be some serious serious ramifications and the Lorca and Giorgio and all these big high concepts the, the ash tyler's uh, the the Dakuvmas and the Volks and all these things that have have been playing around, you know, kind of helping build up this season. It has to amount to something much bigger than than what we are getting. I'm I'm on board. And if the show is not about that, but if this season's about Burnham, then they need to kind of tighten it up a bit. Then by they the do. end, they do because it feels like they're trying to do something bigger than Burnham at this point. The question becomes is kind of like, are they trying to set the plate for next season? I, I don't like when shows do that. Like, yeah. You know what? And that, that's, that's what led me. That's what leads me to my main concern is like, I don't want these last two episodes to all of a sudden be like a setup. Yeah. You know what? Don't do that. Let the episode for season two set up your season. Like, let's worry about this season. There's a lot of moving parts. So I've said my piece I don't really need to say my final thoughts, Dave, but I would like to get your final thoughts before we sign off on today's discussion. Give them to me. Give it to me. My final thoughts on the episode basically echo yours, honestly. I mean, 
all the notes that I've taken in this past episode, you pretty much touched on. The episode feels very, very branched out. Like there's so many moving parts going on and you're kind of left thinking, okay, where's this leading? And then, however, then there's the big elephant in the room where it's like, well, they just put George out in the same spot that she was in before she died. They're going into a, a very, uh, a, a very stressful scenario, a life and death scenario, just like in the very beginning and Burnham just seems to be almost angled towards that direction that basically you're going to have to make another decision, just like what you did at the very beginning. And the question becomes all everything that Burnham has ex- experienced, what is she going to make? And just like what you said, if they go that route, great. However, they need to tighten it up more and make all the other branches matter. You know, I don't, I understand that basically just like we said, the, the, the like Stamets and Tilly and Saru and even Tyler to some point, they're all side characters. But they're, they've all been introduced very well and very developed alongside Burnham to the point that their story is starting to kind of like emerge out of this. And basically you want to actually continue that on, but we all know that has to end. So, so um, it it it's. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm really interested and a little nervous, a little nervous, yeah, about the season finale because yeah. th- there's so much that they have to actually show us. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not gonna. I, I'm not being negative. I'm really no. not, and I hope it's not coming off that way because I really have liked what they have done. Um. I, I just feel like something is a bit off since they've come back from winter break. The first half of the season was really, really strong. And I don't know, was was Burnham's story derailed due to the writers wanting twists and turns within their plot? I feel like her story is no longer driving the train, but the train is driving itself. Exactly. And like the 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 thing I believe I mentioned to you off air was like it really does feel like we discussed off air that without Brian Fuller around all of a sudden, if this is because we all know that Brian Fuller, his original concept was to stay in the mirror universe and yeah. stay there. Let's, let's save that thought for next week. Yeah. Cause I do want to get into that, but let's save that part if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. So without giving anything away with that being said, it's kind of like you're left to wonder, okay, who's in charge and what is their story they're trying to tell. Right. All right. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's discussion. If you guys agree, disagree, please shoot us a message. You can hit us up at from the holodeck on Twitter. Also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash from the holodeck and leave us messages. Let us know how you enjoy the show. If you hate me, you hate David. Or you like us and you want us to cover other things as well pertaining to Star Trek Discovery, we need to start setting up our off-season shows because we don't do a whole lot off-season, but I'm willing to do maybe one show a month to kind of keep Discovery fresh on everybody's mind. But also don't forget, we do Patreon shows as well um, where we delve into all types of different 
versions of Trek, whether it be the philosophy of Trek or a Q-centric episode or the Borg or even the Mirror Universe. And you can get all those discussions on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to the additional hours of holodeck content and more. So thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.